Good evening and welcome to Mystery. And the second of our exciting new series, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. I'm Vincent Price. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was often asked where he got his idea for the character who quickly became the most popular detective in the world. Doyle, who was a doctor, made no secret of the fact that he modeled his consulting detective, Sherlock Holmes, after Dr. Joseph Bell, one of his medical professors in Edinburgh. Doyle often observed Bell sitting in his receiving room and diagnosing patients when they arrived, even before they spoke. He would make observations about their past lives, hypothesize about their symptoms, and hardly ever was wrong. Doyle, remarking in his memoirs about Dr. Bell's scientific method, said, it was surely possible in real life, so why shouldn't I make it plausible in fiction? Conan Doyle dedicated the adventures of Sherlock Holmes to Dr. Bell, who took little credit for the inspiration. He wrote to his former student, you are yourself, Sherlock Holmes, and well you know it. Lady Conan Doyle agreed and said that her husband did indeed have Sherlock Holmes's brain. And Conan Doyle's sons reminded Scotland Yard when in 1953 his chief claimed that Sherlock Holmes's methods were dirty and nasty, that their father was responsible for the use of plaster of Paris for preserving footprints, for establishing the minute investigation of a man's clothing to discover his occupation and where he had been, and for the method of determining the precise differentiation among tobacco ashes. Well, whatever the similarities Sherlock Holmes and Conan Doyle may have shared, the author often tired of his creation, who he felt distracted him from writing his more important historical romances. Nevertheless, Doyle did enjoy Sherlock's exploits, and his cerebral approach to criminal investigation, especially in tonight's story, which, by the way, was Conan Doyle's favorite, The Adventure of the Speckled Band. And welcome to the LBC Irregulars, a story-by-story -story review of the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes series produced by Granada Television between 1984 and 1994. I am your host, Gene Gene, the podcaster machine Hendrix, and joining me as always is my good buddy, the David Burke to my Jeremy Brett, Jared, the yard sale artist Albrecht. How are you tonight, sir? Oh, man, I'm just so happy to be back with you here at 221B. You know, now is probably the time to kind of center ourselves and think of the ones we love the most and our wives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it's telling that my wife's in the bedroom and the dog's in here with me. <laughs> in the linen closet. <laughs> yes, in the linen closet. <laughs> the recording studio. Oh, I, my bad. The recording <laughs> studio. How did you uh, find your trip to 221B this evening? It wasn't too bad. I kept running across this guy who kept wobbling down the street, keep swinging this goose behind him. It was kind of <laughs> weird, but... Yeah. <laughs> you know, that'll happen. You'll see these kind of things. It is London. That's what happens when you have four million people jostling about within a few square miles. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Did you join a goose club? I did not. No, I got enough of that at home. Okay. 
fair. I won't dig into that. Now it's time for Gene to give us a recap of our stories for this episode. For our first story for this episode. Yes. If you're not familiar with the Speckled Band, you might just get the ending spoiled. So if you need to go watch the Speckled Band and or read it, yes, now's the that, time. I mean, it actually takes less time to read it than to watch it, but we <laughs> you can go with whichever one you want. <laughs> An early hour of the morning, a terrified young lady, Helen Stoner, comes and asks Holmes for help. A short time before her planned marriage, her sister Julia died without identifiable cause after uttering these mysterious last words. The speckled band! Helen's stepfather, Dr. Roylott, an unsociable and violent man, has forced her to move into Julia's bedroom under false pretenses. Holmes, worried, decides to go with Watson to Stock Moran the very same day. During the travel, we get exposition that, in accordance to his wife's will, Roylott can dispose of his stepdaughter's income until they get married, and that Roylott, imprisoned for beating an Indian servant to death, came back to England a very embittered man. While looking over Julia's bedroom, Holmes notices that its ventilator opens onto Roylott's bedroom, and that the bell rope is a dummy. Holmes and Watson hide until night, and Helen signals them as she leaves Julia's bedroom, where they take up position. After a long wait, they hear something hissing, a snake. Holmes strikes it with a rod, and the angry reptile returns to its owner and bites him. Roylott, who refused to lose his stepdaughter's income because of their marriage, had trained the snake to slip through the ventilator along the bell rope to the bed of its victims, and to come back when he whistled for it. But Roylott's living weapon turned against the villain and killed him. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I made it a little more exciting than it actually was. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Well, you know what? I think it's time for some highs and lows where we take a look at the good and the bad of the episode. I guess we'll start with you, Gene. What was one of your favorite things from the episode? It was actually the way that, and this is right from the text, the way Holmes deals with Roylott. Because Roylott comes to 221B right after his stepdaughter. And he's threatening, goes to the point where he takes the fireplace poker and bends it into a U-shape. And Holmes is just like, don't let the door hit you in the butt. (laughs) He almost literally said that. (laughs) (laughs) I hear the weather is turned, but the crops will be okay or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> that was very funny. <laughs> and then as soon as Roy Lott leaves, it's like, oh, well, I'm not quite so bulky. And then he bends the poker right back into the straight line. Well, with a little dip in it. How about yeah. you? What was one of your highs and or lows? Well, you already hit my favorite one. I did love that scene where he was just totally brushing that guy off. The guy was just brash and larger than life and threatening and Holmes was like, I don't sweat you. (laughs) I don't sweat you one bit. That was pretty awesome. So you stole mine. So I will share with you. Just call me Pat. (laughs) (laughs) I will share with you a moment that just made me laugh because I thought it was very funny. They set up this very elaborate plan and they go to the mansion, the stock Moran, as it's called. They switch the places and then Holmes and and Watson, I can lean into my mic. Holmes and Watson sneak in there and the lights are off. And then Holmes like, he whispers into Watson's ears, 
don't fall asleep because you your life might depend on it. <laughs> I'm like, isn't that some you should have told him before you guys went in there? They're waiting in that <laughs> outbuilding for how long? <laughs> if, if, I, if I was watching, I'd be like, what the <laughs> man? They went in there and my wife's watching it with me. And this is actually her favorite Sherlock Holmes story. So she's watching it with me and Holmes gets in there. He starts taking his shoes off. <laughs> she's like, what's he doing? Why is he taking his shoes off? Well, it ain't dark yet. <laughs> yeah. And we know the whistling doesn't happen until three in the morning. So they're going to be sitting there a little while. And he never once mentioned to Watson, like what the actual theory and plan was. <laughs> he wanted him to be as surprised as the readers, I guess. But mm. I do agree with your wife. I have a special place in my heart for this one too. This is the first one I ever did on an audio book. Uh-huh. I was on cassette. Ooh. I went to my library when I was in high school and checked out the cassette. For those of you who might be younger than Gene and I, library <laughs> is a large building where they store books and tapes and CDs and records and things. And you go check them out. And you know what? No subscription fee. It's yeah. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but, Late fees, yeah. yes. Yeah, <laughs> no subscription there, fee. There's that. So yeah, that one. This one has a special place in my. In my heart for that. But you know what? Let's get into a second round. What if you got a high or a low or something that uh, made you laugh? <laughs> Actually, it's going to be a high, as is my want with these things. I did read the story before I watched it. Now, the story, it's a lot of exposition. And a lot of it is coming from Helen sitting there into right. 21B. So I like how they rejiggered everything. So you see the lead up to it. And then she's Mm -hmm. just telling a little bit of story. And then Holmes and Watson do investigation before they get on the train and then fill in the rest of it. So it's, it's not this big info dump right in the middle with some action at the end. It's spaced out, which I much prefer. Okay. Yeah. It's been probably since high school, since I read it. So I had forgotten that there was that huge info dump in the middle and so yeah good planning on their part certainly the only thing i think i'll add because this is a pretty straightforward one there's not a whole heck of a lot of detail to dive into or maybe i'm just doing a bad job tonight (laughs) but the one thing i will add is i thought that roy lott the stepfather the actor who played him was great i mean he was so larger than life he was like absolutely keeping pace with jeremy brett which is not easy (laughs) to do yeah Jeremy's like, oh, one to 10. He's like a 12 all the time. And this guy absolutely kept pace. And I just thought he was particularly great. I'm really glad that I did a rewatch because remember when we started this, I had never seen him. Right. And you very graciously bought me the DVD set for Christmas, which thank you again. I've since watched them all. So now I'm going back and rewatching them along with you. And I'm really glad I did a rewatch because I completely missed and forgot that he was the stepfather. Because when I started playing it again, and I kind of remember the plot, and I'm like, yeah, he's killing his... And I was like, he's killing his own daughters for money? And mm. then they dropped the stepfather nugget, and I was like, oh! <laughs> it really cleared it up for me on the second yes. viewing. <laughs> like, what a scumbag. I mean, he's still a scumbag, but I thought he was even worse than a scumbag. Yeah. He's not killing his blood relations. <laughs> that doesn't exactly make it better. No, I think they said they raised those girls from when they were like, very little. So you would have thought the bond would have been closer, but I guess, you know, greed does crazy things. people. And that's another change from the actual story is in the original, they're twins. It's uh, twin girls. I've forgotten and that. That's part of what she says, why she feels the loss of mm. Julia so much. 
And in this, they're actually five years apart. So when their mother married Roylott, Julia was seven and Helen was only two, which means that, as she says in the episode, this is the only father she has ever known. And she says that in response to Holmes saying, he's abusing you physically. Right. Yeah, I caught that too. She had like a bruise on her arm. Yeah. In the beginning of the episode, he grabs her wrist mm, and actually right. squeezes. Holmes notices that she's got bruising in the shape of four fingers and a thumb. Right. Right. Yeah. That's uh, Roy Lott. Not a nice guy. Could have been in pokers, but uh, yeah. aside from that, doesn't have many redeemable qualities. Is there anything else you want to go over before I hand it back to you, sir? No, I think that's basically everything. Like, like I said, it's, well, you said it's a very straightforward episode. It is. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's A to B to C to D. And it's not that it's bad. <laughs> it's no, just. No, it's well executed. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, overall, what did we think of this episode? Well, we just happened to have a rating system for that. Mm-hmm. On a scale of one to five pipes, five mean you loved it. It solved your mystery. Four, it was really good. Three, it was all right. Two, you didn't like it. And one, you hated it. It threw you off Reichenbach Falls. Sound effects. (laughs) So how would we rate this story? And if you don't mind, I'll take the first shot at this. I really want you to because I'm torn between two numbers and you might influence me. Well, I am going to give this one a three. Nothing bad about the story, but it was just, as we say with comic book issue, it was workmanlike. It Mm. was... Well done, no problems at all, but there was nothing that made it stand out for me either. I see, yes. Uh, On the LBC network, we often say, sometimes you got to eat the filler. Mm -hmm. It tasted okay. You know, it was filler. Yeah, I think I'll probably join you. I think you did influence me because if musical genius Joe November was here, and maybe we should have him on a future episode. (laughs) There's plenty of episodes in the future, (laughs) so yes. I think he would dig it. Um, I was thinking, I was like 3.5. Do I go to a four bump? Do I go to a three? And I think you're right. I'm going to give it to a three with the asterisks that it's as good as it can be given its source material. The source material is a basic. Like you said, it's short. I got yeah. on a cassette. It might have been on one or two cassette, maybe one cassette. I yeah. don't remember if it was one. It was no more than two. Yeah, so, it, this is one that I was able, actually both of the ones that we're covering tonight, I was able to read each one just in a sitting before mm-hmm. bed. Yeah, so yeah. it was quick to go through. They got it all on the screen. There was, there was yeah. really nothing that they left out. Yeah. I mean, what they had to work with, it was well executed. Just the base story alone, I think, sits it at a three. So it's not a, a nasty three. It doesn't have a mean look about it. It just is what it is. Just yeah, a three it, for me as well. It's all right. Yeah. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of this episode. Oh, wait. <laughs> There's more. Let's go back to Gene to give us a recap of our second feature for this one. The Blue Carbuncle. Good evening and welcome to Mystery. I'm Vincent Price. You know, there have been a great many parodies written about Sherlock Holmes. Even Conan Doyle wrote two. But he said that his favorite parody of his famous character was written by Sir James M. Barry. Mark Twain's parody is considered one of the worst. Ellery Queen thought Bret Hart's The Stolen Cigar Case the best, and O. Henry wrote about Shamrock Jones. (laughs) T.S. Eliot 
Scattered McCavity, one of his famous cats, on Holmes's arch-villain, Professor Moriarty. Holmes has also lent his image to an unbelievably varied array of products, beginning with a supposed endorsement of Beecham's Pills in 1894, and then there quickly followed Conan Doyle playing cards, uh, which were available with the purchase of turf cigarettes. And a whole slew of music hall songs were written extolling the detective's glories. London Transport named one of its trains the Sherlock Holmes Special, and the Northumberland Arms Pub was rechristened the Sherlock Holmes. But nothing, as far as I'm concerned, matches the charm of the present-day Baker Street establishment, the... Uh, my dear Watson coffee shop. Tonight's story finds Holmes in his Baker Street lodging at Christmas time. But a scandalous theft is about to disturb his solitude, and he begins to unravel the adventure of the blue carbuncle. Again, if you're not familiar with this story, you might just get that ending spoiled. So once again, if you want to pause here, go watch The Blue Carbuncle or perhaps read the short story. We encourage you to do so because I'm handing it over to Jean. All right. The Countess of Morcar discovers that her priceless Blue Carbuncle is missing. Inspector Bradstreet arrests John Horner because summoned to do some little repair in the Countess's suite by her butler. The unfortunate workman was present the day the jewel was stolen. The following day, Commissar Peterson comes to seek advice from Holmes, for he found a goose and a hat left by a man who, after accidentally breaking a shop window during a brawl, ran away when he saw him. Holmes orders Peterson to eat the goose and keeps the battered hat. But Peterson soon comes back quite upset. While cleaning out the goose, his wife found a blue carbuncle. Imagine that. Holmes places in the papers an advertisement inviting the owner of the lost hat to retrieve it. Henry Baker hurries to Baker Street, relieved to recover his hat. He is delighted to receive the goose that Holmes offers him to replace the lost one, which proves his utter innocence. Holmes and Watson rush to the Alpha Inn where Baker got his goose, and here the fowl was bought from Breckenridge. The irascible poulterer refuses to tell where his geese were coming from, but Holmes tricks him into giving up the information. At this very moment, James Ryder, the butler, yes, the butler did it, ladies and gentlemen, appears and begs Breckenridge to tell him where the geese are. Holmes takes Ryder with him to Baker Street. He quickly confronts him, and Ryder confesses that, at a loss to find a place where he could hide the carmuckle stolen at his lover's instigation, he made one of his sister's geese swallow it. But when, having killed the bird, he looked for the jewel and it was nowhere to be seen. Among his sister's geese, two were alike, and Ryder took the wrong one. The other one went to Henry Baker. Holmes lets Ryder go, for prison would make him an incorrigible criminal. Horner, released, may celebrate Christmas with his family. And there you have it. And folks, if you had hearing the phrase irascible polterer on your bingo card for this episode, I think <laughs> you win. <laughs> just one. 
<laughs> you hit that one. I was like, wow, irascible Baltimore. <laughs> well played, sir. Okay, well, it's time to get into the highs and lows, the good and the bad. And it looks like I'll be going first on this one. There's a lot to choose from. To be honest with you, Gene, I'm a big fan of this story. I've seen it executed in this one, as well as the Peter Cushing version from the 60s, from when he did some Sherlock Holmes stuff. I like them both. They both execute really well. I like the story in general. But if I had to pick a particular high or low, I got to go with it's always fun to watch Watson attempt to use the deduction methods of Holmes with the hat. And <laughs> I, Holmes, I see nothing. <laughs> yeah, he, he gave up quick. He was like, I got nothing. And Holmes like went through all of his stuff and Watson just like, what? Holmes was off by like one detail, like the gas thing, I think. And it just made Watson so happy that Holmes was wrong on a detail that was just utterly charming and with that to kick it off i'll pass it to you well i'm gonna stay with watson as well this one it just shows you david burke having fun with the role you see Mm -hmm. him doing the the deduction in the beginning but when they get to the poulterers and holmes is tricking him with the whole bet thing Mm -hmm. yeah i don't want this for any other reason than to settle a bet Watson gets into it. Once he realizes what's going on, he's all in. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he picks it up quick. Yeah, he does. He, yeah. he looks at him like, oh, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's just, uh, come on, pay up, Holmes. <laughs> the best part of that is once they got all the information they needed, it's like they forgot that part because the guy says, what about his fiver? <laughs> yes. <laughs> they both clearly forgot they were in the middle of roots. <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, Holmes pulls out his wallet, hands it to Watson, and they walk away, and Watson's like, here you go. <laughs> yeah, that is an excellent, excellent scene. Again, I just kind of want to gush about the episode in general. What really struck me on this second viewing was this is absolutely a Christmas episode. And it filed away in my brain. I'm like, this is going to be a regular December watch for me. I'm going to watch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like this story. I like the little Christmas music in the background. I like the ambiance of it all. All the characters portrayed. I'm pulling a pat here. I'm just like making a list of everything I love on the highs and lows around. I liked it all. I I really did. So if I'm going to pick one thing else to give a thumbs up to it on, I will give it to the ending when Holmes is like, no more words, just go. And the dude's smart enough to not say anything and just go. He saw his one window and he took it. And Watson was like, you're going to let him go like that. And Holmes took offense. Like, he got loud. Oh, he, he was did. like, it is not my job to do Scotland Yard's job for them. <laughs> and I think his judge of character was pretty good because that guy was scared stiff. That guy had never done anything like that before. He was in over his head. He didn't want to be part of it. And I think Holmes was probably right. The guy probably would never do anything like that again. Right. So, I mean, when he realized that he was caught, he almost fainted into the fireplace. Yeah. <laughs> That's how upset he was. Not a career criminal. No, 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 no. Now, I'm going to piggyback on that because my second high is also the ending, but for a different reason. Oh. In the original story, Holmes just says, well, the chief witness is gone. They'll let that plumber out. And that's it. You assume that the guy gets out. In this one, Watson, they're about to sit down to dinner. Now, this is the John Watson who is always concerned where his next meal is coming from. 
We saw that in the Speckled Band. We saw that in this one. <laughs> He's sitting down ready to eat, and it's like, I can't. I cannot eat while that man is sitting in jail. And the very last scene is the plumber getting out of jail, running to his family, and you hear the Christmas music playing, and it mm. is just the mm. ideal ending to the show. Oh, so good. So good. Yeah, I'll tack on to that and just say that the guy who played the accused plumber, he was really good. He only had a couple of scenes, but he made the most of them, you know, when his wife was like, hey, did you really do this? And he was like, look into my eyes. No, I swore to you that life was done when I married you. And he did great. He, he, can, he convinced me. I was like, yeah, it wasn't him. <laughs> yeah, just a really well put together, executed well on every level, looked good, sounded good. I think I'm going to give this one a high score, Gene. It sounds that way, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of scores. Oh, it's like a transition. Oh, what do you know? Wait, I do have a question. I yes. do have a question. Because you reminded me about Watson, and he was cracking me up, and I don't remember if it was this episode or Speckled Band, where he was like, all he wanted was breakfast. <laughs> he kept was, like, can we just have the breakfast then? That was Speckled Band, wasn't it? That was Speckled Band because he sits down, he takes the kipper out and starts <laughs> to eat it. And Holmes says, okay, well, you go see your friend from the army. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go over here and look up the will. I'll meet you at Waterloo Station under the clock at one o'clock. If you're done with your breakfast by then. <laughs> <laughs> he's just trying to get breakfast around at home. He's like got his hat and jacket on. He's out the yeah. door. <laughs> okay, so that was the first one. Anyway, yeah. we had a real good transition going and I screwed it up. Well, whatever. So anyway, <laughs> so overall, what did we think of this episode? Well, let's go over that rating system just one more time. On a scale of one to five, five, you loved it, solved your mystery. Four, it was really good. Three, it was all right. Two, you didn't like it. And one, you hated it. It threw you off of Reichenbach Falls. Jared, how would you rate this story? I love it. So I'm going to give it all five of my pipes. Like you said, it's not the most fanciful in source material. It's not long and it's simple and straight. It's kind of A to B to C to D like the other one. Follow the clues to the goose, if you will. But so well executed, so heartwarming, that Christmas aura about it. Yeah, I'm going to watch this every year at Christmas time and I love it. So five pipes. What about you? I'm right there with you. This is going to be my first five of the, the series as well. Part of that is, yeah, it's a simple story, but you get to see pretty much every single side of Sherlock Holmes. You get him woken up by Mrs. Hudson in the morning. <laughs> Go <he> away. <laughs> <laughs> and then he stumbles out to realize, oh, <laughs> there's somebody here. <laughs> Peterson is standing there. Holmes is in his night clothes. But then he's on the case. You get to see him have fun with the innkeeper and the poulterer. And then you get to see him pissed off. Mm -hmm. Like you said, he is incensed mm -hmm. that Watson would suggest that Holmes does the police's work for them. And mm -hmm. as we know with Holmes, he serves justice. And he did not see any justice in sending this man to jail. So, yeah, it's definitely the first of several fives for this series. Yeah, I'm with you. Great episode. And I'm going to have to ask you one more time to clear up. Maybe you can remember which episode it was. There was a very subtle and quick Holmes moment that I wanted to mention. I can't remember which episode it was in. 
they were interviewing someone at 221B and Holmes had basically gotten everything he needed. <laughs> and sort of true Holmes fashion, he kind of gives this dismissive hand wave and just yeah. kind of looks at Watson. And Watson immediately knows what to do. He starts doing the cordial pickup, leads yeah. to the door. But he, it's just like, Holmes just basically admits, I don't know how to function in society. At this point, I've got everything I need. I need you to take over. Yeah, that was this one. That that was uh, when okay. Henry Baker, Baker gave him all the information and then Holmes just, he shut down. He just mm-hmm. turned in the chair. You'd see his face just become a mask. And he's staring mm-hmm. into the fire and Baker says something like, see you greens and Holmes just, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and that's when Watson hands him the goose with a big smile and Merry Christmas to you and all. And that's yeah, when Watson says, a, oh, that... uh, do you have gas laid on in your house? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was at that point, Holmes had realized this guy has nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. I've got all the information I need from him. It's so Holmesian. This box is checked. I need to move on. I don't have time for the frivolities. <laughs> yes. The best part was Watson was just like, without missing a beat, it was just a glance to Watson. And Watson knew, okay, yeah. Holmes can't function in society. <laughs> to I'll take, take over. over. <laughs> <laughs> great, great character moment. Awesome. Anything else that we need to get out, Gene? We're so excited at this point. <laughs> no, this one was actually, again, it was fairly straight from the text. Everything in the original stories is people coming to homes and telling them, telling their story about what's going on in these, because it's for television, you get to see stuff in order. And what I especially liked on this one was the opening credits are over a zoomed in view of the blue carbuncle. And in the one facet of the gem, you see the discovery of the gem and then all the crimes and everything committed until it gets to its current owner that was mm-hmm. a really nice way to do that very clever good point question for you didn't see coming yeah do you like to see Holmes out like speckled band investigating in the room putting the clues together we'll see that several more times or do you prefer the putting the pieces of the puzzle together in 221b while interviewing a person it depends on the story really mm. and there are certain stories like the most famous home story, Hound of the Baskervilles. Mm -hmm. He kind of has to be out and about to do that. He's not going to put that together in London. He has to be on Dartmoor in order to figure it out. Right. But then there's stuff like this one or the crooked man where he's sitting there as, okay, this goes to that. And ah, this comes here. Then he's doing it. So it's a non-answer, but I like it both. (laughs) Both Yeah. At the end of the day, I like the 221B environment the best, but it is fun to see him in the field. So just wanted to get your take on that. All right. Well, with all of that, before we ride off in our handsome cab for this episode, let's thank the Crusaders Club members who help pay the rent here at 221B. These are the fine folks who have joined our crusade. They get early access to special long box crusade episodes. They get to vote on show content. They get entered for free raffles, so much more. These are the folks reaping the benefits and giving some much appreciated support to the show. And Helica Wolf. Oh! <laughs> Auburn Elvis. Bill Bear. Blast it or stash it. Braxton Underwood. Clinton Robinson. Keep it down there in the basement. Dave Collins, but you might know him as Battlewagon. Battlewagon. Gerald Green. Greg Van Leuven. Jeremy L. Jim Jarman. Joe Thomas. Dr. John Watson. 
Jose Poyo. Josh Strickland. Slackers. It's funny when everybody says <laughs> Kathy Bright. Monstrous Mark Hatherley. Maxwell Traver. Michael Wagner. Miranda W. P.D. Devins. Paul Hicks. Not Jeff from Jeff and Rick Present. Captain Rob Morgan. Ross Michaud. Ryan Daly. Samantha Maney. Sean Urbanski. Steve Cronin. Tim Price. Toronto Cop. And Brad Morin. If we missed anyone on our list, we apologize. Just remember, we record these episodes well in advance of release, so if you're a recent edition, we'll get you straightened out. But hey, you can always email us and let us know we missed you. The email is contact at longboxcrusade.com. We will fix it as a reminder. You can become a Crusaders Club member by heading over to patreon.com slash longboxcrusade for as little as $1 a month. You get access to the amazing world of the Crusaders Club. Come check it out. Offer not available in all areas, especially for Jason. And that will wrap up these two stories. We'd love to hear from you if you're familiar with the originals or the Granada TV adaptions. You can reach us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Longbox Crusade, or you can email us contact at longboxcrusade.com. And if you want to chat with me personally, I can be found at Yard Sale Artist. That's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's all at Yard Sale Artist. I also hang out in Trafalgar Square. What about you, Gene? See, I don't go to Trafalgar Square just because of all the pigeons. But you can find me on pretty much any social media. Just look for The Hammer Strikes and you'll find my stuff. So be sure to join us next quarter as we take a look at two stories again, The Copper Beaches and The Greek Interpreter. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, everyone. Gene Gene, the podcast machine here with an important announcement about the future of the LBC Irregulars. Don't worry, the show will be going on just fine, but this will be my last episode. As you noticed, with the time between episodes two and three, I just don't have the proper time to devote to the show. And that's not fair to you, the network, or the subject matter. The really good news, though, is that starting next episode, the one, the only, Kathy Bright will be the new host, so the show is going to be in great hands. With that, I'll be taking my leave of... Uh, no. Not that music. I will be back for the occasional guest spot, so there's no need for that kind of walking off into the sunset theme. Much better. So please, join Kathy and Jared for the next episode. For the LBC Irregulars, I'm Gene Hendricks. Good night.